Welcome to Transformation Church RVA. This sermon is a part of our series called Numbers, Preparing for Promise. The book of Numbers gives us insight and warnings for how a covenant people of God should engage with seasons in the wilderness. We will see God's sovereign hand at work over the course of this series as he shaped and molded Israel in preparation for the promised land that awaited them. Although Israel endured many trials and tribulations, oftentimes due to their own sin, the Lord's plan of salvation is at work in numbers as he centers his people on himself. If you will turn in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 27, Numbers chapter 27, we are, and I can't even believe it, we are in the last week of our series on Numbers, our last week. Uh, We've been in this series walking through the book of Numbers for now, today, six weeks, and we have seen some wild stories, wilder than anything you can watch on Hulu or Netflix, more impactful than any of those things. Uh, Numbers, we, we talked about the very first week, is not a book for yesterday, and it's not just for your enjoyment of reading. It has implications on your life today. The whole Bible does. Front to back. Front to back. Um, I sent out a quote to our staff earlier this week, and I'm trying to remember it, but it it went something to the effect of, um, if you just pick and choose what you listen to in the Bible, uh, you may like Jesus, um, but he's not your God. He may be your buddy, but he's not your God. The whole scripture is to bear its weight on you. And so uh, today I want to talk about prepared in the waiting. I hate waiting. Do you? Some of you are waiting for this service to be over. That is your current posture. You're just... um, Waiting in doctor's offices. Probably the most frustrating place I have found recently to wait is the pickup line at Macy's Elementary School. Do you know how, do you know the passionate prayers I have prayed? From the pickup line at her elementary school asking God to pour his mercy on my soul and patience over my mind and to forgive all of these sinful people (laughs) who have no patience, act like they have never been human for more than like five seconds. They're out here cussing at the cop, cutting people in line. And so those seasons of waiting every day at three o'clock Are awful. We don't like to wait, especially in our culture. Waiting a minute and a half to hot to microwave a hot dog seems like too long. Um, well, how did why do people act like that's weird? Y'all don't microwave your hot dogs? 
Look, I got to get up and go in the morning. I don't have time to split it and fry it, okay? <laughs> That's good preaching, isn't it? Yeah. I got to get on topic. I'm running out of time. Waiting. Nobody likes it. But what I'd like to get across to us today is this one thing. That God has purpose in our waiting. God has a divine targeted purpose in our waiting, in our wilderness, in our struggle. He's got a purpose in it. So let me recap very quickly. We're in the book of Numbers. It gets its name from chapter 1 and 26. Chapter 1 and chapter 26, they do something we also do here in the U.S. every few years, which is uh, there's a census taken. In the Latin Vulgate, it is numeri. In the Greek, it is arithmoi. You hear something that sounds familiar? Yeah, that's why they named it numbers. In the Hebrew, it actually means in the wilderness. And so at the very beginning of the book, there's this census taken. The people of Israel have come out of slavery. They've been enslaved for 400 years, and they find themselves. Hey, do we have that map on there still, Corey? Um, I want to I I show you the map. Um, we find ourselves out of Egypt. They cross the Red Sea. Lots of you have heard that story. Um, and they land uh, right across, kind of down at the bottom. You see number eight, that's Mount Sinai, and they find themselves there. You've heard of big things that happen there, like the Ten Commandments. And what we found at the week number one is that in order for God's people to stop being slave people and start being God's people, uh, or at least in their minds, he had to be at the very center. Week number one, we said God is at the center. He demands centrality in the life of the believer. If God is not center to your life, I would say he is probably not king of your heart. And if he is not king of your heart, if he is not Lord of your life, you are not a Christian. Let there be no question this morning. If God is not the Lord of your life, if you have not made him Lord of your life, you are not a Christian. You may be associated. You may come here to get the feel goods. But God demands centrality in the life of the believer. Now what we see is the people of God, he drifts in and out of the center of their lives. And we see the ripples of that. Okay. Um, and, and really, if I were to put it in a different way, it's broken into three parts, the whole book. The first part is when they get organized, the first 10 chapters. And then the rest of the book, they spend disorganized. People are swallowed by the earth. God has to kill people in their disobedience. I mean, they're very disorganized. They lose sight of the Lord. And then at the very end, which is where we are today... They get reorganized, reorganized. So week number one, God at the center. In week number two, we found that how they knew whether to travel or to stay, whether to go or come or pack it up or, or, or set out camp was by his presence. 
His presence dictated when they came and when they went. It was a a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Can you imagine it? Week number three. We see them get just to the promised land. They almost get there. They send some spies in, and these spies go over, and they say, man, this is a land flowing with milk and honey, and I love milk. Do you like milk? And I drink D-milk. D-milk, the red jug. Yeah. Hey, look, if you're not drinking D-milk, you're not living life. Okay, if you're drinking uh, white water, you know that 0% stuff. <laughs> it's a ton of calories, though, I got to tell you. Corey's got me counting calories, and uh, that D-milk kicks my butt every day. Land flowing with milk and honey. Ten of the 12 people that went said, we can't conquer the land. God has taken us out of Egypt He's taken us through this desert land. He's brought us out here to die. And here we show up to the place God has led us to. And guess what? There are giants in the land. There's no way. They're going to kill us. They kill everybody that comes over here. But there were two faithful guys, Caleb and Joshua. And they said, this is nothing for the Lord. This is nothing for the Lord. So they begin to doubt God. Have you ever doubted God? It's okay to say you have. I have. I've wondered. Maybe you've never been in that place, but I've wondered. So as a curse for doubting God, they've been complaining this whole time. They come out of slavery, and they've just been complaining. God provides, they complain. God provides, they complain. It's just like your life. But you didn't want to hear that this morning. He provides, we complain. And so because of their doubt, God curses them to 40 years, 38 and a half years more in the desert. And they're going to walk in a circle until an entire generation, 85 on average, funerals a day, until... An entire generation dies. This is what, now, some of them were swallowed up all at once. There, there were thousands, upwards of 30,000 people killed at one time. So here's the thing. What was interesting to me in that particular text is that the, pe- the, the people of God, you know, they came to Moses and Aaron and they said, hey, think about our kids. You brought us all out here to die. And God said, no, I see your kids. And because of your doubt, you're going to die out here and they're going to inherit it. I'm still taking care of your kids. You know your kids belong to the Lord? I don't know who needs to hear that today. I have to remind myself of that. Sometimes I think, man, I've really, uh, you know, done a terrible job. I fouled this one up, man. Your kids belong to the Lord. I am so glad for that. I'm so glad for that. They circle around for 38 and a half years. (laughs) They get back to the same place. They're right on the brink. See, 
they got back to the same place, and guess what happened? They complain again. They complain again. Moses, who has been leading them for all these years, 40 years. Do you know a pastor that's been a pastor for 40 years? I know a couple. You should see them when they start and when they finish. Hey, let me tell you. If disease doesn't get you, the pastor it will, okay? And uh, Moses has dealt with their complaining and their foolishness, and he's watched hundreds of thousands of people die. And out of his frustration, you remember, you remember when we talked about this? He struck the rock twice and disobeyed God's command to speak to the rock. And God said, because of your disobedience, you do not get to see all that I have promised you. And then last week, Corey, didn't Corey do an an awesome job last week? Yeah. Corey did a great job. Um, talking about how he got hit in the head and, um, and how we can forget God on repeat. Hey, Corey, you're at Transformation Church, brother. Uh, it's, it's about 1053, in case you forgot. I'm just kidding. That was supposed to be a joke. Y'all aren't really. Y'all are already. You're just waiting. That's what you're doing. Hey, can I let you in on the enemy's secret? Can I? The whole time you're in church, the enemy will just whisper to you, ah, just shh, don't, don't pay attention. You're okay. This isn't for you. Shh. And many of us just let him lull us back to sleep. And I'm, I'm, I want you to wake up. I need you to listen. But that God is sufficient even when we aren't. And we talked about snakes last week. And I didn't bring any snakes. And I was going to. If I could have found one, I would have. And just let him loose in here and just let you feel the fear. (laughs) I may have done it. You better watch your feet. Oh, look, look, everybody's not coming back to this church. This whole time, God has declared, I am enough. And they refuse to believe it. They refuse to believe it. So how do we get from where um, Corey was in 21 last week to today? We're in 27. I don't have time to go into all of it, but I do want to tell you one particular story. Right after 21 in this snake incident where everyone had to turn towards this serpent on a staff. One day Jesus would be put on a cross and we have to look to him, right? Right after this, there's, now, perspective. You ready? Three million people, two and a half-ish million people walking through the desert. This is not a small crowd. They say uh, estimates of up to 10 square miles. This, this camp, this march. If three million people march by your house, do you think you're going to notice? Yeah. 
I'm hiding my D-milk. I'll tell you what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, I'm getting my donuts. I'm hiding everything because they're coming through. They're going to find it. Three million people. Well, this happens in Moab. And, and it's a really cool study, story, kind of funny. They're walking through Moab. Three million people. The king of Moab sees them. Go figure. And he's heard about them. He said, oh, these are the people from that came out of Egypt. They're coming through our land. He's worried they're going to destroy his place. They're going to destroy it. And so he calls his buddy. Um, so King Balak uh, calls his buddy Balaam. You know what he says? I need you to get up, leave your house, and I want you to come over here and curse these people. I want you to curse them because they're going to destroy everything. They're just so I want you to come curse them. So Balaam says, "All right, let's go." So he makes his way up, and he uh, on his way to curse the people of God. He gets on his donkey. Anybody rode a donkey? I don't know. I'm just pulling the audience, trying to keep you engaged here. Some of y'all should have took a nap before you came. I'm just telling you. He gets on his donkey. Well, the Lord puts an angel in the road. The donkey sees the angel, but he does not. Nobody else sees the angel but the donkey. That's so funny. So the donkey, okay, maybe this will get you. The donkey takes off running across the field. Balaam on top of it. And the Bible says Balaam got upset. His donkey wasn't listening, so he beat his donkey. Okay? They get back on the road, drags him back up to the road. They keep on going. Well, they've got to go through this pass, okay? So Balaam's leading his donkey through this pass. Balaam sees the angel again. I mean, the donkey does, not Balaam. The donkey sees the angel again and tries to squeeze past the angel and steps on Balaam's foot, crushes his foot. Balaam goes to whooping on that donkey again. They keep moving. Donkey sees the angel again, standing right in front of him. And so the donkey lays down, middle of the road, lays right up under Balaam. Not going to move this time. Balaam got upset, whoops his donkey again. And then the Bible says that Balaam's eyes were opened to the Lord, to this angel. Balaam falls down on his face. And he's concerned now. He's worried. And the Lord tells him, this angel tells him, look, I could have killed you and just let your donkey go on. Um, right before this, I missed kind of the key part. <laughs> so right before this, right before his eyes are open, um, the angel speaks through the donkey. <laughs> and the donkey, can you imagine? The donkey looks up at Balaam and says, why are you beating on me? What have I done to deserve all these beatings you're handing out? And then his eyes were, Balaam's eyes were open to this angel. 
The angel says, I could have killed you and let your donkey go since you're so mean to your donkey. But he didn't. And so Balaam says, okay, well, what do you want me to do? I'll do anything you want me to do. And the Bible says that the angel tells him to go up on this mountain, overlooking the people of God, kind of as they're, that's the picture, as they're traveling through. And instead of cursing them, I want you to bless them. I want you to bless them. And he gets up there, and the only thing he can do is lay a blessing over the people of Israel. Zoom out. You ready? The whole time this is going on, the people of God have no idea. They have no idea. This is exterior to the story. They have no idea this is happening. And the whole time that they are grumbling and complaining all through these valleys and deserts of Moab, while they grumble and complain, while they curse God, while they rebel, while they ignore him, while they turn away, God remains faithful and pronounces his blessing. And they had no idea. Can I tell you something? God does not change. God doesn't change. And I wonder how how many times in my own rebellion... I have just shook my fist at God and he has just poured his blessing on me. Let me tell you something. God is way more faithful than I will ever be. I can't be faithful. He's faithful. Anyway, fast forward a little bit. They grumble and complain some more. They take the other census in 26. And, and then after 27, where we're at today, they basically, they have Come to the Jordan River. So where are we at today? Let me get that map again one more time. Um, They've gone in this circle right here, right around Kadesh Barnea, and now they've made their way up, and they are standing there at the Jordan River right across from Jericho. They've had some battles. They've, um, They've had a long, long journey And you'll see right up there at 16, you see that? It says Mount Nebo. That's where we find ourselves today. The people of God are camped down at the Jordan River. And God calls Moses. So let's look together. We're going to read together, starting uh, Numbers 27. And... um, As far as stats go, when they took the first census, they were right around 603,000 capable men, 20 and up. Now they're at 601, okay? So it's gone down a little bit, but we're still looking at about two and a half million people here. Verse 12 of chapter 27 says this. One day, the Lord said to Moses, Climb one of the mountains east of the river and look out over the land I have given the people of Israel. After that, after you have seen it, you will die like your brother Aaron. Can you say defeating? Yeah, you can say it. Defeating? Have you ever been disappointed? Moses has put up with these people for 40 years. They're grumbling. 
They're complaining. Let me tell you something. When Macy graduates from medical school, becomes a doctor, makes lots of money, I want her to give me a break and let me live in her basement. All the grumbling and complaining, she's put, you're going to, my, my wife doesn't want to do that. Um, so maybe, I would say my second one, we'd go live in her basement, but I don't think she's ever leaving us. Um, she's, she's pretty specific. I read this text, I remember many years ago, and I thought, man, what a bummer. You have made it all this way. Now, we already knew he wasn't going to go to the promised land. But how fair does it seem that God leads him to the top of this mountain to look at all the promise and say, you're not going in. You're going to die right here. Many will read this text and just say, you know what, Carl? Um, all, after all these years, can't, can't we give Moses a break? Can't God give Moses a break? This doesn't seem fair. Oof. Everybody say fair. <laughs> this doesn't seem fair. The first thing that we need to understand about this particular text is that you and I are not the authorities on what is fair and just. Many of us look at our lives and say, oh, God isn't, you know, how is God fair and just when we have laid out our own prescriptions and laid out our own life and said, I'm going to do and live how I want, and then God should cater to me. No, you were designed to worship God, cater to God, and Moses disobeyed God. He said, you're going to die up here on this mountain. God determines what is fair and just. And maybe what's most comforting to me here um, is what is said further in verse 14. It said, for you both rebelled against my instructions in the wilderness of Zin." When the people of Israel rebelled, you failed to demonstrate my holiness to them at the waters. Uh, these are the waters of Meribah at Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. Um, in verse 15, then Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, you are the God who gives breath to all creatures. Please appoint a new man uh, as leader of the community. Um, did you, I don't know if you realize this. The future of Israel wasn't hinging on Moses. Did you know that? Israel's future was hinging on God. Why do I say this? I think sometimes you think you're too important. Oh, oh well. No, you would never say that. Okay, so you would never say that. You would never say that, okay? But you would live your life as if God is just waiting on you uh, to, to, 
work out his plans. Now, to an extent, God uses his people. Can I say that? God uses you and I. But let me tell you something. God's sovereignty, God's plans are God's plans. God, the future of Israel was never in, que- in question. The future of Israel always rested and was firm in God. And so Moses, being the shepherd he was, in 15 through 17, we see him say, hey, listen, can you find a new leader for the community? And in verse 17, give them someone who will guide them wherever they go and will lead them into battle so the community of the Lord will not be like sheep without a shepherd. Um, Maybe this goes without saying, but sheep without a shepherd are in constant danger. Sheep without a shepherd are in constant danger. Sheep don't know how to find their way around. It's like me in a TJ Maxx or a Target. I don't know where anything is. I can't find anything in either of these stores. Now, my wife, let me tell you about my wife. My wife can walk into Target and say, I need you to go grab this. And I'll say, I don't know where it is. And she will give me the GPS coordinates within the store to go find said items. Look, three rows up, two to the left. You'll find it right there. She's memorized the floor plan. I would be lost otherwise. And it needs to be said that without Christ, you would also be lost. Without Christ, you would be lost. There is nothing in you that could weave your way or pull yourself up by your bootstraps and figure this salvation thing out. It is not in you. And so Moses, being the pastor, being the shepherd that he was, he said, find them a new leader because I don't want them to be like sheep without a shepherd. We see this fulfilled a little bit in what we did today. When we ordained Bill as an elder, alongside myself and Woody and Charles and Robbie, what we do is help shepherd the flock and care for you, point you in the right direction, lead you. Look at, look at what it says. Um, to let them know, give them someone who will guide them wherever they go and will lead them in, lead them out, okay? That's our job. But ultimately, it was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It was prophesied in Micah 5.4 that he would be our shepherd. And it was revealed in John 10 when he said, The good, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. Christ is the ultimate shepherd. And then we see in 18 through 21, let's read that together, 18 through 21. The Lord replied, take Joshua, son of Nun, who has the spirit in him and lay your hands on him. Did y'all see us do that today? Present him to Eleazar the priest before the whole community and publicly commission him to lead the people. Transfer uh, one of your, uh, uh, some of, uh, some of your authority to him so the whole community of Israel will obey him. When direction 
uh, from the Lord is needed, Joshua will stand before Eleazar, the priest, who will use Urim, one of the sacred lots cast before the Lord, to determine his will. This is how Joshua and the rest of the community of Israel will determine everything they should do. When was the last time we heard about Joshua? I got to pick it up. When they went in the land, that's it. Joshua was one of the two. Now get this. This is crazy. All those people died, right? They were of that past generation, right? They had to circle the wilderness all those years to die. Two remained. God let two of them remain. Joshua and Caleb. You remember what they did? They pointed people towards the Lord. They said, the Lord can do this. You remember that? So the Lord said, okay, I'm going to keep these two guys around. Joshua, um, we see throughout the text and even in Deuteronomy, Joshua's main job, other than being a leader in his family, was to serve Moses. He worked underneath Moses. And he served uh, Moses. Um, And all this time. So think about what Joshua has seen. He's seen all this death and destruction, plagues and snakes. He's also seen Moses suffer as he leads the people and cry out to God. He's been well acquainted with what it takes to lead the people. You see what what God was accomplishing for Joshua throughout those 40 years is he was preparing him. You see, God had a purpose in the wilderness. Seasons for Joshua, he's preparing him. God had been preparing him via serving. And then we see in 22 and 23, so Moses did as the Lord commanded. He presented Joshua to Eleazar the priest and the whole community. Moses laid his hands on him and commissioned him to lead the people, just as the Lord commanded through Moses. This is why we do what we did today. God ordains people. We recognize the call. That's what we do. And today, I'm telling you, I need to tell you something. I need to be very frank with you. God has a purpose in your waiting. God has a purpose in your wilderness. <laughs> and most of you today are going to ask this question. Why? Why? Carl, why am I going through the things that I'm going through? Don't you think Moses asked that question? Why? Why? What's the point? Carl, what is the point? I'm trying to figure out, Pastor, what is the point of the season that I'm going through right now? And it doesn't always have to be a low season, but for some it is. Why, Carl? Why, is the, why are these things happening to me? You know, you are in good company. I'm sure the people of Israel, that's all they asked the whole time through numbers. 
Why did you bring us out here? Why did you take us out of Egypt, out of slavery, where we had it good? Now come out here to die. Why, why, why? You don't think Abraham uh, in Genesis was asking God why when God said, leave everything you've known and go to nowhere. (laughs) I'll show you when you get there. Or when God said to Abraham, hey, Abraham, take your son, the one son that that, that you wanted so bad. Take him and take him up the mountain and I want you to kill him. I want you to sacrifice him to me. You don't think Abraham was saying, why? He was obedient. I'm sure he was asking in his mind why Joseph was thrown in prison. Moses spent time in the wilderness. Daniel was thrown in a lion's den. Some of you have this romanticized vision of Christianity like your life isn't supposed to have any suffering in it because you serve the Lord. And that you will never experience wilderness or waiting seasons. Daniel was fervently obedient to the Lord and ended up in a life-threatening situation. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown in the fire. A real fire. And maybe even most of all, I think of Job. Do you remember Job? A successful man. All these kids and all this livestock. And I thought about Job as I thought about this wilderness season, as I thought about you and I prayed for you because the whole point of this series for the last six weeks is to help you figure out how to navigate a wilderness season, a waiting season when you don't know what's next, you don't know what's coming, there's uncertainty in front of us. How do I navigate it? Job, in a matter of hours, lost all his kids, all his money, all his livestock. He lost his friends. His friends came to him and even his own wife, his wife came to him and said, won't you just curse God and die? You must have really messed up this time, Job. And I pray as I navigate waiting and as I navigate the wilderness that I would have almost this Job-like spirit Because in Job 13, 15, you know what Job said to the Lord? As he's covered in disease and boils, his family is dead, his wife has left him, his friends has left him. He has nothing. He has nothing. He even said, naked I came into this world, naked I'll leave. You know what he looked up to the Lord and said in his wilderness season of wondering why? He looked to the Lord and he said this, though you slay me, yet I will hope in God. Though you slay me, yet I will hope in God. Mary in the New Testament, pregnant before she was married, having never had sex before, 
Lots of questions there. Lots of stares, lots of looks. I don't know if you've ever walked through a season where everybody was just kind of standing at a distance, just like watching the demise of your life. I think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he's got to go to the cross and he is praying so hard that he is bleeding, he's sweating his own blood. He cries out to his father and he says, if there's any way, is there any way that this cup can pass from me? Yet not my will, but yours be done. What is that purpose? As I closed it, what is that purpose? What is the purpose of wilderness and waiting? There may be specific things that's specific to your life, but I can tell you one central thing that is all through the book of Numbers, all from Genesis to Exodus. And I can tell you in almost 34 years of life, and some of you have lived double and triple that. Maybe not triple. Let me know, though. Some of you are close. I'm just kidding. can tell you that in every time of my life where I was waiting, waiting for a call from my father or a, um, when I was waiting, when, when, as I've been waiting for my siblings to come to church, it's not, as we were waiting for kids. As I wandered the wilderness of doubt and wondering, is God really who he says he is? There was but one purpose when I stared at this church five years ago and we had 30 people in this room and I said, what wilderness have we wandered into now? With 30 faithful people who love the Lord here. got bad diagnoses and reel through pain and I've looked at my friends' lives with terrible news and I look at my kids and I say, oh, when is this going to be over? (laughs) 18, 20, 30 years, I don't know. So I've been waiting for people to run to the Lord. And can I tell you this is I've been waiting for God to continue working in my heart. There's the, the, the sin that I wrestle with. Lord, when are you going to heal it as I confess it to you? As people have attacked. As I look at the world around me, I just see, I'm just waiting. And, and maybe you've prayed the same prayer. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. I'm just tired of waiting. And we're about to be in Christmas where it's going to be all about Advent and, and how we wait and how we wander in this temporary home. And there is but one purpose. And it is simply that he 
is enough. He is enough. God has a purpose in the wilderness, and, and if it is centralized, it is centralized to this one thing, and that is He is enough. What does the scripture tell us? The scripture tells us that look at how, look at, look at the majesty and beauty of the lily. Yet won't I clothe you? Look at the sparrow who doesn't want or wonder for anything. He doesn't need for anything. If I care that much for a sparrow, how much do I care for you? Can I tell you this morning, and I heard this in a song today as I was preparing, and I know I'm going over a little bit, but I need you to hear this. You are never going to be loved anymore by God than you are right now. He's not going to love you more tomorrow because you got it right. He loved you the same yesterday when you were at your very worst. You're never going to be loved any more than you are in this very moment. And I am here to declare to you as we close this series. And look, next week we're going to have a Q&A where you get to ask all the questions you want live in service. I need you to carry one thing away from this series. God is enough. God is enough. There's no relationship on this earth. There's no amount of money. There's no house. He's enough. And I'm determined today. And I hope that you'll determine in your hearts with me that wherever he leads, whatever wilderness, whatever waiting, no matter what it costs, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to follow him. I'm determined to do it. I might trip up along the way. I know his grace is sufficient. He's enough. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I just know that he is enough. I cannot tell you when Christ is returning. But I know he's enough right now, today, in this moment. I can't tell you he's going to heal you today. But I know he's enough. I know in the loss and in the pain, he's enough. Leave here encouraged. Leave here, tell your friends. They're looking for hope and he's enough. He's enough of it. Thanks for streaming this audio from Transformation Church RVA located in Richmond, Virginia. For more information, check out our website at www.transformationrva.com.